you for listening to this message from the North Gate. Absolute joy and honor to be here with family. And one of the things that makes this a joy is to have not just, I think we, I think we use phrases and it unintentionally divides, it separates. We, we have family and we have kingdom family. And I've never understood if the kingdom is what we say that it is, it is not separate from what we would call actual family. So I don't, I don't even, I struggle with the term kingdom family because it's kingdom already, but it's family. And my, my son calls Jimmy and Tina, Uncle Jimmy, Aunt Tina, Uncle Mark, Aunt Des. And the truth about it is we could be doing this by ourselves, but it's so much better to be doing this together. And I think a lot of times you think it has to be one or the other, but the beautiful part of it is we could be doing this by ourselves and have some measure of effectiveness in the earth. But what we get to do together is supernatural. And so I thank the Lord for the Northgate family that allows uh, us to come in as family and to be our authentic selves. And last night, if you missed last night's message, you have missed out on one of the greatest messages I've heard Mark Casto preach in my life. I do, I have, I've probably heard more messages from Mark than any of you all in the room. And I told him probably three or four times already. I said, Mark, I never say this because I don't grade your messages. I don't sit back. I'm not one of those. that's like, well, that's a good word, brother. And I put it in a category, but I told him, I said, man, last night, that was the most authentic message I've ever heard from my brother. Because when you heard that message, that is Mark Casto. It is the Holy Ghost and it is encouragement. And he has been that in my life for a long, long time. Even from the time he was 18 years old, being a youth pastor on the west side of Charleston, I had just become a youth pastor in the neighboring city and the 18-year-old calls the church and says, I just want to hear your heart about revival. I had never had anybody do that. And at that moment, I knew there was something so special about him. And he has been an encourager along the path. And it's really his passion and his hunger that makes him an encourager. Because he believes big, he loves deep, and that's the way he and Des roll. And I thank God for them. So if you didn't get a chance to listen to that last night, please go back. I I texted our crew last night. I said, I don't think I can make anything mandatory, but if I can, go back and listen to that message last night. Put it on repeat and learn what it means to be filled with the Holy Ghost and be a divine encourager. My goodness, was that amazing. So since he preached so well last night, I don't have the pressure to preach well. <laughs> he did it, so I can just be me in the room. That was awesome. But I, I want to honor uh, Jimmy and Tina too because there is no doubt in my mind, when, it, when you say the word authentic, definition, yes. chapter, verse. And I just believe that is why my heart is so knit to theirs is because when they love, they love big, Right? It's, it's not a halfway love. And it might, their love might, might overwhelm you, right? Anybody felt overwhelmed by their love? Because when they love, they, they are a tsunami of love. And that love can overwhelm, but it's the purest waters I've ever, I've ever been a part of. And so ever since he walked into that gym and we were having a lampstand weekend, and the first words that came out of his mouth as he walked into my office, not knowing me, 
But just hearing the rumble that was going on in prayer, he said, this feels like home. And from that day forward, I knew I was going to walk close with this man, not just because of who he was, but because of the connection Mark had with him. And so I'm, I'm sitting at this desk tonight just honoring the fact that we're walking this path together when we could be doing it alone and we could be having a measure of effectiveness. But I think we are an example of a three-chord strand that is not easily broken. And I'm thankful for that kind of brotherhood in my life that is truly iron sharpening iron, not, not just because there's challenges that come, but because there's encouragement that comes. And that encouragement is enough iron in my life to say, I want to go further. I want to go higher. I want to go deeper. You know what I'm saying? So I just want to honor that in the room, and I just want to honor the Northgate family for who you are. You, I mean, I, I say it all the time. If you can come to the Northgate and miss a message, then you're just not trying. You, I, it is like throwing a rock in the ocean hoping to hit something. You're going to hit the water, I promise, because you guys pull so, so, so passionately and so deeply. And I just I feel the prophetic water swirling this whole weekend from last night. The first moment we jumped into worship, I was like, here we go. You know, there's sometimes I come and I think this is going to be just like a normal weekend. And then all of a sudden you get in the waters and it's like a rapid. You get caught up in the swirl and it's beautiful. But there were so many things that happened tonight that I would be wrong if I didn't just share a prophetic lens of some of these things. There was so much language talking about warfare and the the changing and the adoption of a new lens on how we see warfare. And and Jimmy was was saying something and the Holy Spirit said, I want you to share this, this story because a lot of times I think what we do in good intention in the area of warfare, that striving thing when we walk by faith. Because I could feel a kickback whenever, uh, whenever you talked about faith and striving, that people are, that it's not warfare or it's not, it's not, however you said it, about it being a place of striving. And they say, but, you know, we fought the good fight of faith. Yeah. I, I could hear somebody quoting that, but I fought the good fight of faith. The only fight of faith you really have, if you take the word faith and what it means, it means that I have been persuaded that I can trust. So really faith is a matter of your trust more than it is your effort. I don't, I don't build up to have faith in the way that I strive to have it. So I give necessarily more energy. It means that I go deeply into trust and that trust has allowed me to anchor it into the person of Jesus. So now I'm assured that if my trust is in him, there's no way that this ends bad. And then you can begin to call things that are not as though they were right? Because you're seeing from an invisible realm and pulling it into a manifested physical realm. And so when we talk about the fight of faith, really the fight of faith is about you being able to fight that internal world to say, I'm going to learn to trust more fully than I've ever trusted before. So if you're in a fight of faith, it's not with all the things that are external. It's, it's in here. It's you saying, I am going to learn from the inner man how to trust more deeply than I did before. Why? Because that trust anchors you to hope and hope always has a faithful uh, expectation of a positive outcome, always. And so the Lord showed me this picture years ago. I come from a word of faith background that I am so thankful for. Taught me the believer's authority. It taught me how to use the word of God, how to live and stand on the word. But one of the things that I've learned for myself, the Lord showed me this picture and just indulged me with the picture here. But I remember having this encounter with the Lord and I was standing behind a shield. And if you look at the armor of God, there's a shield of 
faith, right? And I was holding on to the shield of faith and what I thought was a shield of faith. And I could feel the fiery darts of the enemy trying to hit against me. And they were hitting that shield of faith, but it was rocking the shield that I was holding. And I kept striving, kept pushing, kept holding. And I can remember the Lord saying, now I want you to look on what's on the inside of your faith. And I said, Lord, I don't know what that means. He said, look at the handle you're holding. And so as I was holding a shield of faith, on the outside it said faith, but on the inside I was gripping tightly and opened up my hand, and on the handle it had the word fear. I was calling it faith, but I was really gripped with fear. That if I don't hold on here, if I don't last here, if I don't get through this, I'm not going to make it. And fear was what I was holding, but I was calling it faith. And there's a lot of times in warfare because we've misguided our efforts to external things that are already defeated. You're beating against the air and the real fight is the fear that is in you. And the Lord said, now I want to show you what faith looks like. And I said, how do you do that? He said, now let go of fear. And when I let go of fear, the shield fell. And I said, Lord, I'm vulnerable. He said, that's faith. What if we have misunderstood the shield of faith as being a Roman shield? And he said, no, it's vulnerability. It's you trusting in me to such a degree that you're willing to go without a shield because I'm your shield. The name of the Lord, he's a strong tower. The righteous run into him and they know that they're saved. What if our identity of fighting a good fight has been misguided with us fighting against an already defeated foe? And the reason why you feel like the devil is beating up on you is because it's the accuser inside of you, not the one that's bound for eternity. So maybe you just need to let go of fear and quit calling it faith. So the Lord also said to me as we were in here last night, Mark was so prophetically just pinging all over the place. And I thought to myself, oh Lord, I'm going to get caught up in in something. And so I got raptured last night probably 10 or 12 times and it was awesome. And so he, he started to talk about the worship being the evangelism. And I'm just going to throw some prophetic things out and then I'm going to jump in to what I felt like the Lord had to said, say. But I remember the Lord showing me back in the gym days in 2015, 2016, that there was a fire that was in a field and there were people from the city that were running to the fire and they were jumping into the fire and they were coming out burning but unharmed. Yes. And I asked the Lord, what is this? He said, this is the effect of violent worship. When you really tap into what it's like to take your heart and just rent that heart and pour it out, then the Spirit comes and He is a what? Consuming fire, right? And He's devouring all the misidentifications that you're carrying. And so I just believe that this worship is our evangelism, is the fire that's in the fields of this city. And I see fires that are in fields because I didn't see it in a building. I saw it out there. And I saw the radical worship being a fire that people were running into and they were coming out of and they were lit on fire. Yeah. And I said, Lord, how did that fire get how did you how did that fire get started? And this is what he said to me. They finally caught the foxes and tied their tails together and sent them in the fields to burn up what the Philistines had to consume. 
If you burn up all the enemy's resources, they have nothing to come at you with. So take the little foxes that are spoiling the vine of devotion, tie those tails together, light them on fire, and run them back toward the enemy. And he has nothing to sustain himself. And then the third thing that, that, I, that I saw was last night when Mark was talking about offenses and he was talking about reconciliation. And, and, and I remember the Lord showing me, and some of you will remember this, a table that was set out and, and, and Jimmy and Tina were sitting at this table. And there were people that were coming into the building and they were laying papers at the table in front of, of, of Jimmy and Tina. And Jimmy had, had, had tears just flowing down his face. And the Lord told me, I said, Lord, what is this? He said, this is, this is sons coming back and laying their offenses at the table. And this is where reconciliation is going to take place. And I want to let you know that here, here's the deal. There's a lot of times we, we, a deal, we deal with offense right? Jesus said offenses will come, right? They're going to give you an opportunity to partner with it. But I have found that offenses follow the pathway of insecurity and sit on a throne of misidentification. 100% if you're dealing with offense, you don't know who you are. You know why it's quiet? Because you are that. In that moment, when you deal with offense, and I, I'm pointing at me too, if I, and here's my thing, I've, I believe in markers of a lampstand community, and for me, one of the markers of a lampstand family that, that center around the presence and beauty of Jesus is you are unoffendable. That's right. That's right. There is nothing you bring to my world if it doesn't line up with what he says about me that gets entrance to my heart. So I am unoffendable when it comes to what you have to say. Because here's the difference between criticism and truth. I did not know I was going to share. The difference between criticism and truth is criticism has no faithful expectation of a good end. But truth always is wrapped up in hope. It, it never has the idea that I'm going to tell you what for so that you can hear what I have to say. Truth is me saying, this is how I see. This is what I feel. This is what I think. I see this as a truth in my heart, but I'm not going to get bent out of shape if you take it. And I'm not going to get bent out of shape if you leave it because I ultimately just trust this, pat, this thing that I have with Yahweh and I'm just going to speak truth in my heart. It, why? Because it's clothed in love. I speak the truth in love. And some of the greatest measure of love you can give somebody is honesty from a place of compassion and yes. empathy. That's, yes. It's not truth if it's critical by nature. It's like Mark said last night, the Holy Spirit is never going to partner with the accuser. Ever. The same is true when it comes to truth and criticism. How do you know if you're being critical? Does it have a faithful expectation of hope on the end? This is going to end well, and it's going to work together for the good. That's right. That's, that's critical. That is a carnal spirit. Birth from your insecurities because it sits on a throne of misidentification. When you don't know that you're beloved, you see fault in everything you see. Your lenses are diluted from truth, which is why you stay one-dimensional and not multi-dimensional, which is why you don't engage on the sea of glass. 
and leverage on this place. Why? Because there's a dimension you got to cross through to stand on a sea of glass mingled with fire, staring at the throne of God where 24 elders are taking their crowns and constantly throwing them at the feet of Jesus where there's a storm cloud, an emerald storm cloud that is revolving around the throne night and day. Six-winged creatures are flying around the throne with eyeballs everywhere saying you are holy, holy. You don't see that if you're critical. John the Beloved got to see that because he stayed unoffendable and kept his head on the chest of Jesus. Keep your head on the chest of Jesus, right? You know what the opposite of offended is? Pleased. Go look it up. Webster's Dictionary. The opposite of offended is pleased. There might be a reason in Matthew 5 when Jesus said, happy are they that. And then he began to list all the kingdom attributes. He said, if your heart is in this posture, happy are they that. And then he began to say, here's your fulfillment. Maybe that's the reason. Is because he's bringing us into a revelation that he is pleased with us. Therefore, we can be pleased in our heart and we then remain unoffendable to anything going on around us. Because here's what, here's what pleasure rides on. It rides on the road of assurance. It has confidence attached to it. There's a, there's a pleasure that comes when you're assured that you're a son. There's a pleasure. What's it say? Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. We've made that a wishful concept. That if I delight myself in the Lord, he'll give me what I've been desiring. That's not as much about it as this. If you delight yourself in the Lord, he's going to plant on the inside of you a new desire. And then he's going to fulfill that desire. Why? Because you're beloved. You know who you are. You are more than a conqueror. That's what we were talking about. You're being carried through this thing. You you don't have to fight one fight except for the one that's inside of you. That is right. Come on. It says he made an open mockery of every principality, power, and ruler over dark places. He paraded that and said, I'm going to make a mockery of what you thought was strong. The only fight you got is the one inside of you. That's where the accuser is. So I sow that to you. I give that to you ultimately because I believe that Yahweh is raising up a family that is learning. This is is how I would phrase it. That we're coming into an age and a time where we are a family in a garden learning to govern without an accuser. What will it look like when people gather together, not in the corporate sense of a CEO ran ministry where the product is everything, What happens when we switch over into a family model with fathers and sons and daughters that are just learning how to be a family in a garden, tending to the garden of devotion, knowing that you are the promised land of Yahweh. And then from that place, you're learning to govern the affairs of the cosmos that you have authority over without an accuser presence. Because that's what Romans says, you have no more accuser. You don't have one. He's been bound up. So what's it look like when you finally get to the place that you're learning to govern the affairs of the earth, not because you're afraid, holding on to fear, calling it faith, 
What happens when you get to the place where the message of righteousness has pierced you to such a degree that you just see yourself as beloved? Then you start crossing over hurdles like this. Well, they don't use me enough. They don't see me. They don't reach out to me. They don't call me. They don't. You get to a place where it's like, I'm just happy to be in the room. Because the object of being in the room is not seeing what you can do. It's to minister to the beauty of Jesus. It's to stand on the sea of glass, mingled with fire. Staring at the beauty of Jesus. Saying, can I throw another crown at your feet? Because what do I have but what I want to give back to you? My God. Set Jesus in the middle of the room. Take your lips. Put him on the feet of brass. Very difficult to complain when your lips are already occupied. Very difficult to complain when your lips are already occupied. You know where else I find that? In marriage. It's very difficult to say foul words when they are actively intimate with one another. The intimacy of what he wants with you. The fascination that comes with that changes everything. So go to Hebrews chapter 12. We'll see. Golly. He's raising up family. And we've been saying and hearing and seeing this message for a long time. But I think we're just now getting to the place where we're starting to see the manifestation of it. So Hebrews chapter 12, and I know I gave my guy like 37,000 trillion scriptures. I don't know if I'm going to get to them all, but you got them just in case. But Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 18, it says this. For we are not coming as Moses did. I want to pause so you understand that. We are not approaching this thing law of Moses, right? To a physical mountain with its burning fire, thick clouds of darkness and gloom, and with raging whirlwind. You know why? Because you're storm stoppers. The physical whirlwinds are being stopped by sandy suns, right? (laughs) So we're not dealing with a physical mountain with its burning fire, thick clouds of darkness and gloom, and with raging whirlwind. We are not those who are being warned by the jarring blast of a trumpet and the thundering voice, the fearful voice, that begged to be silenced. They couldn't handle God's command that said, if so much as an animal approaches the mountain, it is to be stoned to death. And it says the astounding phenomena Moses witnessed caused him to shudder with fear and he could only say, I am trembling in terror. But check this out. By contrast, we have already come near to God in a totally different realm, the Zion realm. For we have entered the city of the living God, which is the new Jerusalem in heaven. Come on. Some of you are still living in Sinai, bound by the law of do and don't. 
What are you going to do when everything is actually accessible and possible for you? What if we started living away from the covenant of no and started receiving the covenant of yes? And and then then you hear the religious voice that says, but you're just going to give them a law to sin. That's not true. That's not true at all. He's given us a more excellent covenant. I, I, mm, I want to keep going. By contrast, we've already come near to God in a totally different realm, the Zion realm. For we have entered the city of living God, which is the new Jerusalem in heaven. We have joined the festal gathering of myriads of angels in their joyous celebration. These angels that Mark talked about last night, they're not miserable, they're happy. And they bring the fear of the Lord to bring a shaking to the systems of men. They bring you into a place of uncomfortability to make you familiar with the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It shakes up every crutch that you hold on to and assume that's God. They come and shake it out from under you and reveal the true nature of Him. And as members of the church of the firstborn, all our names have been legally registered as citizens of heaven. And we have come before God who judges all and who lives among, listen to this, the spirits of the righteous who have been made perfect in his eyes. Who is that? Romans 5 says it's you. Imputed righteousness cannot be taken away from you because he said, this is what I give to you. When he went up from the earth and he said, I leave my peace with you. Not a peace the world gives, but a peace that only can come from me. This is the imputation of righteousness. And it says this, who lives among the spirits of the righteous who have been made perfect in his eyes. And we have come to Jesus who established a new covenant with blood sprinkled upon the mercy seat. Blood that continues to speak from heaven What's that word? Forgiveness. A better message than Abel's blood that cried from the earth, justice. Some of you want justice and he said, I want forgiveness. Justice will keep you critical. But forgiveness will keep you hopeful. Mercy. Mercy, mercy. It's the beauty of mercy. He takes it, everything that you've been misidentified as, your sin, he takes it and he throws it. And he casts it as far as the east is from the west. How far is that? It's forever. It goes on and it says, make very sure that you never refuse to listen to God when he speaks. For the God who spoke on the earth from Sinai is the same God who now speaks from heaven. Those who heard him speak his living word on the earth found nowhere to hide. So what chance is there for us to escape if we turn our backs on God and refuse to hear his warnings as he speaks from heaven? The earth was rocked at the sound of his voice from the mountain, but now he has promised once And for all, I will not only shake the systems of the world, 
but also the unseen powers in the heavenly realm. Now this phrase, once and for all, clearly indicates, say that with me, the final removal, things that are shaking, things that is the old order. So only what is unshakable will remain. Since we are receiving our rights to an unshakable kingdom, we should be extremely thankful and offer God the purest worship that delights his heart as we lay down our lives in absolute surrender, filled with awe, for our God is holy, devouring fire. What is he devouring? Insecurity, fear, guilt, shame, doubt, misidentification, sin cycles, destructive behavior, critical spirit. You know, here's the thing about the critical spirit. If you only recognize it from the outside, you never really understand its attack on you from the inside. You know what what they say, hurt people hurt people, right? People that are critical are so much more critical in themselves than you could ever imagine. And that's why Mark said we need to be a Barnabas and come to that critical spirit and say, you're you're looking at the wrong target. You're looking at the wrong thing. Most of the people that I know that are offended are only living in misguided or misidentified hurts. I'm mad at you, but I really can't stand me. I'm, I'm mad at what you did to me, but I did it to me a long time before you did. But I'm going to blame you because it's my easy route out. Wow. You know why it's easier? It's easier for me to blame you than take responsibility. Because you know what happens? If I take responsibility, I bring it to an altar in my heart and I say, Lord, you judge this. I've spent a lot of time taking things that I, I thought about the Lord and putting it on an altar and him consuming the things I thought he wanted to keep and keeping the things I didn't think he cared about. There's a lot about that that I could go into, but I'm not going to do it for this. But it says, it says this, since we are receiving our rights to an unshakable kingdom, we should be extremely thankful. Hear that? Extremely thankful. I think gratitude can unlock things that effort cannot. I think people that are seeking for encounters should just set their heart to be grateful and watch the encounters find them. Because there's a measure of effort when it comes to seeking encounters that we get into. If I yell loud enough, dance hard enough, run fast enough, if I pray in the spirit loud enough, long enough, deep enough, if I fast for 40 days and 40 nights, if I, if I, if I do all these things, he's going to find approval in me. And what we don't realize is you're already approved. That's the reason why early in my walk with the Lord, I thought when he said, now you're ready, I thought he meant ministry. And really what he meant is he's ready ready for me and him. He he wanted me for him. And I, I early on thought he wanted me to do something and he didn't want me to do something. He wanted me to be something. His. And I could not understand that because I didn't have a paradigm for it. I didn't, I didn't have a lens to look through and say, what does that even look like? And I think that's the beauty of what we're starting to see establish itself in the earth 
especially with the message of righteousness, is that we're starting to understand he's not looking for the business of a church model that has a CEO leading it. He's looking for a family rooted in identity, learning how to live in this garden, governing the affairs of the earth without accusers present. What if family affairs could be done without sides being picked? What if, what if love was present and love began to deal with every dysfunction? Seriously, what? I mean, I'm serious. What if we started doing that? What if we started baptizing people in love? You say, but yeah, just you can't do that because that lets people off the hook. God is love. And if me baptizing someone in love is not enough, then who's really in control? You or God? You. Because you are admitting you have no strength in his own love. For God so loved, what? That he gave himself, right? What's the next verse after that say? No more condemnation. That's right. No more condemnation. There's no more voice of an accuser present. So we've got to get to this place where we begin to baptize in love, right? Now go with me, go with me. Uh, Hebrews chapter five. I'm going to bounce around to some scriptures. I'm going to read it, give you context. Just throw it out there for you and see where we go, okay? Hebrews chapter five, verse 12 is where we're going to go. Uh, yeah. Okay, and this is the, this is the passage, passage of Scripture that is about us being pierced with righteousness. It says, For you should already be professors instructing others by now, but instead you need to be taught from the beginning the basics of God's prophetic oracles. You are like children still needing milk and not yet ready to digest solid food, For every spiritual infant who lives on milk, what's it say? Is not yet pierced by the revelation of righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, whose spiritual senses perceive heavenly matters. And they have been adequately trained by what they've experienced to emerge with understanding of the difference between what is truly excellent and what is evil and what is harmful. Now, now, now do this. Go to, go to Romans chapter 10. Like I said, we're going to bounce around. Pierced with the message of righteousness. What happens when we're pierced with the message of righteousness? And I want to go to Romans chapter 10, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 4. And it says, My beloved brothers and sisters, the passionate desire of my heart and constant prayer to God for my fellow Israelites to experience salvation. For I know that although they are deeply devoted to God, look at that, although they are deeply devoted to God, they are unenlightened. Let me throw this out there to you. And coming from me, this is a big statement. Devotion is not enough. And I'll throw another statement out there. Devotion never got me anywhere. You know what devotion is? True devotion is my response to overwhelming love. Early, I made devotion my checkbox. My 15 minutes in the morning, my chapter of Bible reading to make sure I read the Bible through in a year, making sure I prayed X amount of time in the Spirit, making sure I journaled my day with the Lord, and I made that my devotion with him. I even made it weekend retreats. 
where I would get alone with the Lord and say, this is my devotion, when really it needed to be my response to love. I feel like I'm losing my head, Mike, but that's all good. That's so good. Devotion is my response to overwhelming love. In other words, my devotion to my wife is not my chart that she gives me to make sure that I'm devoted. Come on. Right? My devotion to my wife is when I look in her eyes, I see something looking back at me. When I look at her, I see affection coming toward me and it makes me want to move toward affection. When I start to look at her and I start to feel her nature toward me, my my devotion says, you get all of my devotion. You get all of my attention. This is how devotion should be with the Lord. And I made my devotion a response or an effort to get myself into a place. And this is what it says. It says, although they are deeply devoted to God, they are unenlightened. Light is absence. And since they ignored the righteousness that God gives, wanting to instead to be acceptable to God because of their own works, they refused to submit to God's faith righteousness. In other words, they could not put their trust in the message of righteousness. So they kept putting the mask on and pretending they were okay when they were crumbling on the inside. Because the accuser was so strong, it was saying family is really more of the trappings that you ran from. So don't get closer in family. You need to get more isolated because you're going to be better off there. That that family is a lie. Come on, come on. The kingdom is not. It does not thrive in isolation. It does not thrive when you go hiding. It, It 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 thrives when you remain hidden. Not hiding. But hidden, hidden where? On in him. I'm hidden in him. You don't measure me by my righteousness. Why? It's filthy rags. But his righteousness, which has been imputed to me, that's my righteousness now. That's why he says there's a throne that you can sit with, with me. See, we, we don't look. We still see ourselves as filthy. So then, even in this kind of message, it says, They refuse to submit to God's faith righteousness. By faith, you have to receive righteousness. If not, guess what happens? Listen, you remain veiled to the truth. And that's why there's people in the room that you see free and you wonder why you don't experience that measure of freedom. It's because somewhere in that that process, you have chosen the veil that you think is keeping you safe from accountability. And vulnerability. You're still holding on to fear, calling it faith. When really he wants you to let go of fear and get vulnerable and trust that that enemy has already been defeated. That he has been defeated. He has been defeated. Principalities and powers have been made a mockery by the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus. And now he made a place for you. Right? The only word you have is the one on the inside. So it says, they refuse to submit to God's faith righteousness for the, for the Christ is the end of the law. That's big. And because of him, God has transferred his perfect righteousness to all who believe. This is why we have such a need of metanoia, right? 
We have a need for metanoia. What is metanoia? It's not just repenting to change your direction. That's a part of it. It's changing the way that you think so that your life can take on the direction that it was always meant to have. Restoring you back to who you really are. Right? Okay. Romans 1.17 says this, the gospel, the gospel that Mark was preaching last night, Last night, the gospel unveils the continual revelation of righteousness. If you want to take the veil down and move toward righteousness, let the gospel actually come into your heart. Realize that it is the good news of what Jesus has done. It is not by might nor by power, but it is by My spirit, says the Lord. That verse still applies and even more so because the spirit of God is not dwelling in a a man-made, handmade temple. He's dwelling on the inside of you. And if the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is dwelling on you, what's it say? He'll quicken your mortal body. You want to know how healing's going to come? It's going to come when you know who you are and you receive it as your own. Because tell me this, is Jesus sick? Then you don't have to be either. Paul was so bold to say there are many that fall asleep and die and get sick because they don't rightly discern the body of Christ. Go read that when he's talking about the elements. And I'm not saying because sickness comes that we're, I'm just saying there's deeper for us to go. I'm, I'm not saying we're there. Guys, listen, boldly, not there, Right? Because we're seeing that. We see that all around us. But I'm saying there is deeper still. There's deeper still to where the body begins to be what Yahweh always meant for it to be. Right? So we, we get metanoia. And it says the gospel begins to unveil a continual revelation of righteousness. 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I want to read this because I thought this was really, really important. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. All right, chapter 4, 1 through 6. And it says this. Now it's because of God's mercy. There's that word mercy again. That we have been entrusted with the privilege of this new covenant ministry. And we, uh, we will not quit or faint with weariness. We reject every shameful cover-up and refuse to resort to cunning trickery or distorting the word of God. Instead, this is what he said, we open up our souls to you. Be weary of anywhere you hear the gospel coming from a place where people are not being vulnerable. I open my soul to you. I open my soul. That's what Paul was saying. We open up our souls to you by presenting the truth to everyone's conscience in the sight and presence of God. Even if our gospel message is veiled, it is only veiled to those who are perishing, those who are suffering, who don't want to see the truth. They're suffering because they're believing the lie of the accuser. They are focused on the voice of Ishmael, mocking their identity, saying, don't you realize what you just did? Don't you realize who you are? And it always leads you to inadequacy. You're not enough. You're not smart enough. You're not good looking enough. You don't fit in that circle. What? 
Yahweh is lifting the veil through the gospel. And if it's being veiled, it's only being veiled to those who are internally suffering. It goes on and it says this. What was it? Well, there I am. Got lost for a second. That part was good too. But it says, we open up our souls to you by presenting the truth to everyone's conscience in the sight of the presence of God. Even if our gospel message is veiled, it's only being veiled to those who are perishing for their minds have been blinded by the God of this age. Leaving them in unbelief. Their blindness keeps them from seeing the day spring light. Of wonderful news of the glory of Jesus Christ, who is the divine image of God. And it says, we don't preach ourselves, but rather the lordship of Jesus, for we are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let brilliant light shine in the darkness. You know what it says? Let there be light. And it says the darkness, I love the translation that says, and the darkness could not comprehend it. I believe when you begin to walk in the message of righteousness, the darkness cannot comprehend what you're saying because darkness will always try to keep you tied up in darkness. It'll always try to bring you back to law instead of light. Because you know what the light does? The light reveals all things. What scriptures say, everything that's been hidden will be pulled into the light and all things will be known. You know why we're petrified of that? We still love shadows. (sighs) That's why we like to beat ourselves up when we do wrong. It keeps us in religion. We don't like real light that says this gospel is better than you made it. Yeah, because when the early church heard the gospel, it set them free from all of it. Come on. Right? We somehow love to be bound up because it keeps us in striving. Striving actually gives us more purpose than identity many times. Because here's the thing. Identity identity might mean sit still and do nothing. But striving says you got to do this so that you can can climb the ladder. Listen, the only ladder I'm climbing is the one that Jesus said, I see the heavens open. And I see, I see angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. What's that mean? I see the messengers of heaven ascending the revelation of the person of Jesus and imputed righteousness, and that's their access to heaven. And you know what he said? Until What did Jesus teach him to pray? Our Father, which, in, which is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. It's the only ladder I'm climbing. You hear me? I'm not doing anything for approval, validation. Why? I've been approved and I'm validated. My name is son and I am beloved. You know what that means? I can't be offended. Why? I'm already son and I have a seat at a table. And guess what I'm going to do? Celebrate your seat at the table. Because you know why? We're not in competition. (laughs) I'm not in competition with you. (laughs) So, so guess what? There's no big me and little you. I say this to our family sometimes when, it, when we talk about things. I'll say, we may have said yes first, but we say yes together. This lifestyle we live, I might say yes first, but we say yes together. Your yes matters just as much as mine. Right? Your, vo- your voice in that, your yes. See, and when you say your voice, here's what we automatically do. Well, that means I get a pulpit. 
I get the microphone, I get a small group, I get a Sunday school, I want to become an elder, lead worship. That's that not the voice. No, no. You're, you know what I need? Your yes. No matter what it looks like. No matter what it sounds like. You want me to be the one on my face at the altar? I'll be the one on my face at the altar. Why? I say yes. I say yes to being in the room. I say yes. I say yes. What would it look like? But no, we still have an accuser that says if you don't have a place on the pulpit, then you're not enough. Wow. Right. Wow. And then competition stays in your heart. You know the first thing that had to die in me for revival? And this is going to shock this group. Competition. I don't, I, don't, I don't just mean sport competition. Hear me out. I mean the competition that says I have to validate myself against your validation. I don't have to do that. And that was the hardest thing for me to kill. I come from a background of athletics. My dad, high school football coach, gym teacher, all that. I love sports, right? But competition had to die in me if I was going to begin to walk this path with Yahweh. Because you know why? He didn't want me to look at anybody else and compare myself. And that's what competition is. You know, you know why competition has evolved in sport? Because we always look at the competition we have and we have to up our game. That's right. That's true. Right? And you brought that in the kingdom. Wow. That mixture doesn't fit. No, no, does not. You might be able to play a ball game or run a race outside of this building and that, and that, that be okay out there. But when it comes to this, there is no me looking at you for my validation. Right? right. You know what I am? A seated son, right. beloved by Yahweh. I don't, have to, I don't have to look at you for my evolution. You know how I grow? I grow? I grow by receiving more fully the message of righteousness. I believe the voice that he says that I am. I believe when he calls me a prophet, I receive it instead of my false humility saying, nope, that can't be me. You don't, you, you don't know me then. Right. Yeah, that's the hardest thing in the world for me to hear somebody say, our apostle has identified that. Yahweh has identified that. Because you know what my, I want to do? In false humility? Oh, no, no. I can't be that. I can't do that. Why? He said I'm that. He said I'm that. You better start believing what he said you were. If he said you're a writer, start writing. And I don't care if it's Mary had a little lamb. Because the truth is Mary had a little lamb. Right? And then let that revelation run and say, my God. Let it run. Let it go wild. Say, well, I can't sing. Make a joyful noise. Yes. Right? right but you've bound yourself by the accusation of your insecurity, which keeps you offended. Yeah. You might not be offended today, but wait till you're not used. Wait till you miss the phone call, the handshake, the hug, the invitation. You start questioning your placement. Forgetting the history you have. <laughs> what, ha- what would have happened if David would have forgotten his history with Yahweh? Because when he said, when it came to fight Goliath, he said, we have a history. Did you not face a lion and a bear? And was I not with you there? We have a history. There may have not been a lot of interaction between the lion and the bear and Goliath, but don't forget, we have a history. David could have been offended. 
in the gaps. Right? Because that's where you measure maturity is in the gaps. It's not in revival weekends. It's not in these kinds of moments because it's it's not in this that you question your identity because in this room, you're starting to feel faith rise and you're starting to say, hi, this is who I am. This is who I am. You know what? It's in the gaps. It's in the week that we don't have revival weekend. We don't have a a how gathering. We don't have a prayer meeting. Sometimes we have more prayer meetings because we have to keep our insecurities at bay because we forget who we are. Now, I'm not saying don't have prayer meetings. I love prayer meetings. Listen, I I love me some prayer meetings. But don't think that that's the measurement of your righteousness because it's not. Let it be the response of your devotion because you know you're loved. One of the most holy things I ever did, I'm just going to tell you this story. One of the most holy things I ever did is when we started our process in South Carolina, early on in the, in the process, we didn't know what we were doing. We still don't know what we're doing. But we want to do it as unto the Lord. And I remember early in the days, it was just Jesse, myself, the Johnsons, and a few other people. Some young folks that had moved want to be a part of it. We're, we're having in-house prayer meetings. We have no idea how to do what we were doing. And I remember back in those days, of the, prayer, the prayer meetings that we would have, we would have them every week. And the way that we were able to do it is I would make, we would make some food. We'd have it at the house. And then people would come over after work, and we would have our prayer meetings. And, and I, I love prayer meetings. Don't get me wrong when I tell this story. And I remember being at, being at the house and I had this list, I had my prayer list. This is what we're going to target in faith. This is what we're going to accomplish. This is how we're going to minister to the Lord. And I remember we made this food. We sat down and some guys came in and they had, were late from work and they were tired. They were dirty. They were exhausted. They sat around the table and, and I got all the food to everybody and I was happy to do it. And I hurried up and ate my food. Why? Because it was getting close to 630 and prayer starts at 630 and we got to get from the food to prayer meeting, which is literally two feet over in the living room. But we're got to get to prayer, but we're eating at the dinner table and we're sitting there and we're eating and I'm literally hurrying people because we have two minutes before we have to get to prayer as if Yahweh was sitting there going, if you miss this timer, as if us eating wasn't unto him. And I paused and Yahweh said, <laughs> I was so irritated because nobody was eating fast. And I was, I was like, mm, two minutes, we've got to get prayer. And everybody's eating and everybody's laughing and talking and enjoying themselves. And I am, I'm bouncing my foot. I'm tapping my finger. I'm like, I'm done eating, aren't you guys? You guys are done, right? Let's go. And I remember the guys were talking and some levity was coming. Some jokes were coming. And the Lord said, you're not having prayer tonight. He said, you're going to sit right at this table and you let those sons be. And they said, and he said, you sit at this table with them and you be. And he said, and this will be prayer tonight. Wow, wow, wow. Come on. And so I had to repent in that moment because I had to acknowledge that I called that prayer, but not that. Somewhere in me, I separated the kingdom. That's so good. Somehow having a meal with sons was less holy than having a prayer meeting in the in three feet over. Again, hear me, I love that, right? I love prayer. But he told me, he said, this is what they need tonight. And I think sometimes we get caught up in, we get caught up in those things, right? 
And so I just believe Yahweh's starting to address that in our hearts. All right, let's go to uh, Colossians 1.26. If you can put it up on the screen, Colossians 1.26 and 27. There is a divine mystery, a secret surprise that has been concealed from the world for generations, but now is being revealed, look at the other word, unfolded and manifested. Yes. It's being revealed unfolded and manifested. You know what that means? There are dimensions to the reality of it. It it, it is being revealed. It's also being unfolded and it is just manifesting. For every holy believer to experience, verse 27, living within you, this is key, living within you is the Christ who floods you with the expectation of glory. This mystery of Christ embedded, that word embedded is awesome. This mystery of Christ embedded within us becomes a heavenly treasure chest of hope filled with the riches of glory for his people and God wants everyone to know it. I'm gonna read that again, right? (laughs) I like reading the Bible sometimes, right? Sometimes it's better than preaching. Living within you, that's you, living within you is the Christ who floods you with the expectation of glory. Floods you with an expectation that he's coming. Flooding you with the expectation that just when we show up, he'll be there. Right? That's why dinner can look like a prayer meeting. Why? Because we have an expectation that when we get together, he's going to be there. And if you don't know he's there in the dinner, you're veiled to who he is. Wow, that's it. Right? Because here's what Jesus loves to do. Jesus loves to change forms just to see if you really know who he is. Do you not remember when he walked on the road? With two after the resurrection? And they were complaining, sad, worrying. And he said, why are you guys so miserable? Have, you must have been under a rock because haven't you heard? They, they, they crucified Jesus. They buried him. And he's just standing there walking with them. No idea that he changed forms. And then once he went another way and they went another way, they said, but did our our hearts not burn on the inside of us when he spoke? Sometimes you and I get caught up in the form, but we don't understand who he really is. Sometimes we know in theory that he's near, but do you know what it's like when he is near? Because that'll bring an expectation of glory, the manifest presence of God. Because when you just start talking about him, guess what happens? He comes near. You you just start saying the name Jesus. He starts coming near. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous, they run into him and they know that they're saved. Do you understand that? This is why when David has a revelation to fight Goliath, he said, I don't need Saul's armor. Why? I come in the name of the Lord. Why does David in an inferior covenant have a greater revelation than us who's in a superior covenant? I don't have to wear the armor you put on me. I need to, I need to wear the armor that I used to defeat a lion and a bear. It was this sling and this stone and this staff. That's all I need. And then a mocking voice of Goliath says, you come to me with these little things. These have been tested and I have a history. <laughs> these have been tested and I have a history. 
When you have things that have been tested and you have a history, what do you have to be afraid of? Fear loses its grip on you. When you let go of fear, calling it faith. David so easily could have walked out there wearing Saul's armor. Right? One of the greatest deliverances in my life was taking Saul's armor off. And it took an apostle in my life. Before he became an apostle to me, a father to me. He identified me and he said, Bobby, I see you wearing Saul's armor. You know what that meant? I'm wearing something that doesn't fit. And it was hiding the tender parts of who I was. That's what religion will do. It'll make you wear something that you hate. And call it duty. Right? And all it does is hide who you really are. That's how the machine of ministry gets moving. We build something in comparison to what we've seen before instead of being obedient to what he said to do. There are people that cannot fathom why I'm still in a house church model. It doesn't look like what everybody else is doing. He didn't tell me to do anything different. You understand, it could be real easy for me to look at Jimmy Lovejoy and Mark Casto and get discouraged and say, well, I don't have none of that. You know, I, I, don't, I don't have a building and a place and worship team and stuff. The living room is where we meet. And there are people that say, well, you should have you done more by now. You should have had something by now. And listen, if he would breathe in that direction, we'll move in that direction. I believe this year, in fact, I believe this year we shift some things in our world. But the point is this, be authentic to who you are with a full expectation that when you're together, he shows up. What's it say? What's it say? Living within you is the Christ who floods you with an expectation of glory. This mystery of Christ is embedded in you. You know what that means? You're the mystery. You have become the mystery to a culture that demands you fit in a box. Well, that doesn't look like a church. What is the church? What is the church? Because this is not the church. You're the church, right? That's why we get confused about the house of God. This is not the house of God. You're the house of God. Or, or Paul, was, Paul didn't know what he was talking about when he said, do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Do you understand? This, church, this, this building is awesome. Why? Because it's where the church can gather. The ecclesia, the family that can learn to govern without an accuser present. But this is just a building. If he changes forms and this went into a house, or if this changes forms and it went to some pole barn on a field, if this changes forms and it takes off by something, who cares? You are the church. And because you are the ecclesia that is joined by koinonia, this thing is unshakable. Come on, listen to me. No, you you got to hear what I'm saying. Koinonia means that you have entangled yourselves not only to him, but to each other. So that if this changes forms, this doesn't change. You are in an unshakable kingdom. And if it's shaking for you right now, get excited because that means things are falling off and you get to find out who you really come are. On, come on, come on. You get to find out what you really yes, are all about. Because yes. some of you in the room are doing things day in and day out because duty said to do it, but it's not who you really are. Right. That's right. 
Some of you are stuck in jobs that you can't stand because you don't do it under the Lord. There are things that we do by duty and separate it from goodness and we inherit misery instead of delight and pleasure. You are a mystery. Embedded within you becomes a heavenly, I love this, a heavenly treasure chest. That's so awesome. Inside of you is a heavenly treasure chest of hope filled with the riches of glory for his people. Praying in the spirit, right? What did he say last night? Praying in the spirit. It's for me. And then it's for you, right? Filled, filled with the riches of glory for his people. And God wants everyone to know it, right? Let's go on. 1 John 1, 5. You can put it up there. I'm going to just quote it how I, how I remember it. This is the message. This will be, this will be in the, the Passion Translation. You can keep it up there because I'll, I'll read that. But John said, this is the message. He is light. And in him, there's no darkness at all. I love how the Passion passion Translation says it. This is the life-giving message we've heard him share, and it's still ringing in our ears. We now repeat his words to you. God is pure light. You will never find even a trace of darkness in him. John was so adamant to bring, bring it back to its origins. He had gone probably some 80 years before he wrote this because there were some things getting around that had mixture attached to it. And John had to come and say, wait, when I walked with him, this was the message. He said, he is light. And in him, there is no shadow at all. So if you and I are still living in a duality, then we are still not living in a pure light. When that light comes, it begins to bring all things that were hidden in shadows to the surface. And then you have to make a choice. I'm going to fall back into the veil of shadow or I'm going to bring it into the light and say, Yahweh, whether I make my place in Sheol or whether I make my place in heaven, you're there. Because David said that. Psalm 139, whether I make my place in heaven, whether I've made my place in hell, you're there. Where could I hide from your presence is what he said. Where could I go from you? It's where we get the scripture, the same context. He said, you, me and you, are fearfully and wonderfully made. The Passion Translation translates it and says, you are mysteriously complex. Nobody in my life told me my complexities were good. That was a good thing that I'm complex. If you're going to be like Jesus, you better have complexities. Because he's not just one thing. Right? Around the throne, six-winged creatures with eyeballs, they get a picture of the diamond lightning-faced man. And they get to fly around that throne and see different pitches and angles of all of his goodness. They get to circle around him where there is no bad side of him. And they get to see his beauty and all of its splendor. And they have one thing to say about it. There's nothing like this. There's nothing like this. There's nothing else like this. He's holy. He's holy. He's holy. He's holy. And that is their one message that they say around the throne. Nothing like this. Nothing like this. Nothing like this. Do you know what our message should be? Standing on a sea of glass mingled with fire, staring at the beauty of Jesus. Nothing like this. 
There's nothing like this. There's nothing like this. Why? Because now the Holy Spirit is on the inside of you and you become a message to a world that looks at you and says, there's nothing like this. There's nothing like this. There's nothing like this. There's nothing like this. There's a group of people that can actually assemble together and not be offended when they're corrected. There's nothing like this. There's nothing like this. Because that's what the world's going to do when it sees a city set upon a hill that cannot be hidden. There's nothing like this. Oh, man. There's nothing like this. Now go to, go, to, go, to, go to 1 John 3. Can we go a little bit further? Just a little bit. 1 John 3, 21. I want to read it up here. I kind of like this. My delightfully loved friends. That's a great identifier, right? There's that Barnabas thing. There's that encourager thing. He's writing a letter that says, my delightfully loved friends. When our hearts don't condemn us, we have bold freedom to speak face to face with God. What happens when your heart doesn't condemn you? You understand the veil has been lifted and you have access to him. You become like the seraphim, but even better, but even better, right? Not a seat beside him, but a seat with him. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. I hope this is all right. What happens when the message of righteousness pierces us for real? It becomes a breastplate that guards your heart. When when Paul began to lay out the armor of God, which for some reason we've made it like a Roman armor. When later on in Romans 13, 12, Paul says, The night is over and the day is dawning and you're now clothed in an armor of light. We use the Roman armor just to give some identifiers of what it means to be clothed in an armor of light. When you get pierced with the message of righteousness, this is what I believe. Once you're pierced by the revelation of righteousness, you wear that message of light over your heart, making it impenetrable to an accuser. And it establishes you firmly as a son in an unshakable kingdom. And once you, listen to this, once you're convinced that you're loved, you will never be moved. I want to read that again. Once you're pierced by the revelation of righteousness, you wear that message. That's why it's a breastplate. What's it say? You wear a breastplate of righteousness. And we just, we just, just one dimensionally think of Roman soldiers. Anybody ever had that? I had that. I went to PTL. Right? Praise the Lord. Went down there, got my box that had the armor of God in it with the helmet, the breastplate, the shield, the sword, had the feet thing. Walked around being a soldier instead of a bride. I'm so thankful that I gave up the Nazarite for the Shulamite. (laughs) Once you're pierced by the revelation of righteousness, you wear that message of light over your heart And it makes you impenetrable to an accuser. And it establishes you firmly as a son in an unshakable kingdom. Once you're convinced, hear that. Once you're convinced that you're loved, you can never be moved. I think one of the reasons why we are having this weekend. First, awesome revelation that Mark gave last night. But the second piece was to establish the fact that in this message of righteousness, 
He's raising up unshakable houses. And I'm not talking about church buildings. This thing can all fall apart. I don't care. Because the church is you. And the koinonia that you share is the church. It's koinonia and ecclesia. Maybe the reason why the ecclesia doesn't have the effect it needs to have in the earth is they don't have the revelation of koinonia, the need for us to be joined together as one. Paul again said, there's the reason why many are sick and fallen and dying among you. You don't understand the, the connection you're supposed to have one another. Because here's the deal. If you have need, I should be resource. Yes, that's it. Right? right? Yeah. In Acts, it says they had all things in common, right? Yeah. It says that they also, they also held on to the apostles' doctrines. And they, they ate together, fellowship together. Maybe the reason why the ecclesia doesn't have the authority in the earth is because it doesn't have the connection underground. There's, there's a connection, a, a tying together. Because here's the deal. Olive trees that have oil, whenever, they, whenever they are, there's a part of it that's weak, the way that olive trees function is that if there's a part that is lesser than the others, the stronger have the ability by nature just to resource what's weak until it strengthens what's weak. With the message of encouragement, divine encourager by the Holy Spirit, guess what's going to start to happen? You're going to see weakness in the family, and instead of it being cut off and isolated, it's going to become a, a resource, and you're going to start to feel overwhelming resource of hope and joy and peace and love, and it's going to start overwhelming you until you get strong, right? And here's the deal. For some people, instead of getting strong, you'll go into isolation and hide and continue to be veiled. But if you receive the Holy Spirit, because we got to receive him by what? Faith. I have to receive him by faith, right? Then you can speak to a mountain and tell a mountain to what? Move. And guess what it'll do? What if that was more than just a physical mountain? Because Yahweh seems to like to move beyond physical stuff, and he likes to move entire realities. What's possible? I mean, what what can he just move? I I have to tell you that. What can you just move? With faith the size of a mustard seed. If you understand trust even that much. You ever seen a baby just jump off a bed at you? You know what that is? Trust. They have, they have full confidence you cannot drop them. That's right. Right? Right? Hey, anybody else ever been ambushed by a kid jumping off a bed going, and you're like, oh, God. They don't have a clue you're going to drop them. Not one, one fear. Not one fear. Watch this. I'm going to jump off that. Just not looking or not looking. Right. I've had my son jump at me. I'm not even looking. My back is facing him. And he's like, Dad, <laughs> I'm like, what game is this? And to him, it's called trust. Man. And here's the deal. I can drop you. Right? Come on, take, take me off a pedestal. I can drop you. I can let you down. He can't. And the more that I lean into his righteousness, guess what? The more confidence and assurance you're going to have that you're loved. Right? I understand how to love you rightly. And guess what you learn how to do? Receive love rightly. Yeah, that's good. Most of you can't love your neighbor right because you don't love yourself right either. Love your neighbor as yourself. Some of you can't do that because you don't know how to receive love. Are you with me? The message of righteousness is making you unshakable. So if it's shaking, don't get afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. 
It happened to them on the boat when he said, let's cross over to the other side, and a storm arose. What did Jesus do? Took a nap. That does not seem like an ideal time to take a nap. And then he gets up when they say, aren't you afraid that we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get sunk? You know what they were really questioning was his care. Do you care? We're going to die here. Jesus says, you still haven't learned to trust me. And then he quiets the storm. Peace be still. It all settles down. And guess what his closest people did? Who is he that even the winds and the waves would obey him? It's, it's easy for us to know that he's near, but do you know who he is when he is near? Because in that moment, they didn't know what he does when he's near. They just knew he was near. And still question whether he cared. You can walk shoulder to shoulder with people. You can walk shoulder to shoulder and still question who they are. Because presence is not enough. It's knowing the intention of the care. Right? So when Jesus was present, they knew he was near. They just wondered why he didn't care. And sometimes we have to understand that when he took a nap on that boat, that, that was him showing you. How am I going to deal with a storm? We're going to take a nap through this thing because this thing doesn't end bad. We're not going to give in to the storm. You know why? Because there's enough faith on, on the inside of me that we can say peace be still or we can take a good nap. Either way, it's going to work out good. Song of Solomon 4 and I'll be done. I promise. Promise, kind of. Not, maybe. I'm saying I'm promising, so I better live up to that. Song of Solomon 4. And this is where we'll just be done with this thing. Oh my gosh. It's 825. Y'all's amazing. Song of Solomon 4, and it starts in wherever I want. Verse 6, I have made up my mind. Listen to this. Okay, 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 okay. Shulamite, Shulamite, the, the king, the bridegroom king. This is a dialogue that goes back and forth. The bride says this, I've made up my mind. This is you. I've made up my mind until the darkness disappears and the dawn has fully come. In spite of the shadows and fears... I will go to the mountaintop with you, the mountain of suffering love, the hill of burning incense. Yes, I will be your bride. The bridegroom king says, every part of you. This is, this is, this is him looking back at you. Every part of you is so beautiful, my darling. Perfect is your beauty without flaw within. You still think he looks at you negative. Like he, you really do. You think he's still looking at you trying to measure you. The only thing he's measuring is how he's going to ravish you. How he's going to overtake you and overcome you. This is what he's looking to do. He's, he's looking to say, where do you not see me right? And I'm going to get right inside of that. Oh, you don't think you're enough in this? Watch when I show up and show you in the middle of that. You're more than enough, right? <sighs> he says, my darling. He says, Every part of you is beautiful, my darling. Perfect is your beauty without flaw within. Now you're ready, my bride, to come with me as we climb the highest peaks together. Come with me through the archway of trust. Yes, come on, man. The invitation is to come through a gate of trust. If you're not going to walk in trust, you may not go any further and stay veiled to what is available. 
Because the truth is the mystery of Christ inside of you is being unveiled, unfolded, and revealed. But there are people who are choosing to not receive the faith righteousness message and them, they will have a veil until a renewing of mind. Then when the renewing of mind comes, then the clarity of sight comes. Because the eyes and the mind work together whether you know it or not. Your, your mind, your brain, and your eyes, they work together. Neurologically, they are connected just the same way that sound and color work together. The prophetic word that went forth last night about creators and about writers, about song and color, sound and color. This is light. When light shows up, sound and color come. Because light has a frequency and the frequency has a sound and it has an image. Once you slow the light down enough, it makes a sound. And once you slow the light down enough, it has a color. It's a whole nother thing, whole nother thing, whole nother thing, whole nother thing. Now you're ready, my bride. Come as we climb the highest peaks together. Come with me through the archway of trust. We will look down from the crest of glistening mounts and from the summit of your sublime sanctuary. Together we will wage war in the lion's den and the leopard's lair as they watch nightly for their prey. For you reach into my heart. With one flash of your eyes, I am undone by your love, my beloved, my equal... Wait, blasphemy alert, heretic alert. If I would suggest to you my equal without reading it, you'd be like, that man was speaking heresy in there. I didn't call you equal. He said equal. Why? Because you've been imputed with righteousness that wasn't yours. You know what imputed means? It's not retractable. I give it to you without retraction. It's not a dangling carrot. It's the assurance that even though you don't think you measure up, he's still fascinated with you. He is forever married to who? The backslider. What's the scripture say? He's forever married to the backslider. Even when you try to run away, he said, I'm married to you. (laughs) Listen, that lady over there in white, no matter what she does or where she goes, guess what? She's tied to me. And I'm tied to her, right? Yeah. And that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. <laughs> Hold on, I gotta I got get back to the Bible, to the Bible, to the Bible, to the Bible. To the Bible, to the Bible, to the Bible. You keep reading Song of Solomon, your lies are undone. And, like, and then I look over there and I'm like, you're hot. Okay. With one flash of your eyes, I'm undone by your love. My beloved, my brother. Okay, sorry. <laughs> this is why they told kids stay away from Song of Solomon until you get married it's like, and that's why kids don't grow up knowing devotion because they don't understand they don't understand because we're so carnal we make it about things that are temporal instead of things that are eternal so we think that's going to open up a gate of lust and perversion and it's like no it opens up a gate of fascination that's healthy and devotion to Jesus so then maybe they'll marry somebody that they're actually fascinated with instead of somebody they'll tolerate Religion teaches you to tolerate. Jesus causes you to fall in love. Oh, I don't want you to turn your passion down. I want you to point it in the right direction. I remember people saying that you need to, to teenagers, you need to turn off those feelings until the appropriate. No, no, you just need to point them in the right direction. Right now, it's devotion to Jesus. Let that burn. And then as you burn there, what he brings across your face when it's time, that's it. Then we don't have to waste time being engaged for three years. 
some weird things, man. We get we we get weird. We get weird. We get weird. We get weird. Ooh. I feel good right now. Sorry. <laughs> She's over there. It's not my fault. For you reach into my heart with one flash of your eyes. I'm undone by your love, my beloved, my equal, my bride. You leave me breathless and I'm overcome. That's not what I said. You leave me breathless. I'm overcome. I did not say that. I'll accept it. If I did, it's cool too. If I did, it's cool too. All right. We're married. It's right. I'm overcome. At least you know I love her. <laughs> At least you know I love her. Not like half the people you see in pulpits. Um, sorry, sorry. Marriage is good. It's a good thing. It says, <laughs> all right, cool. Well, we're done here. Man, can we... <laughs> all right. It says, by merely a glance from your worshiping eyes, for you have stolen my heart. This is what he says to us. I'm held hostage by your love. It's one thing when you have this place with the Lord where you say, I love you, I love you, I love you. I'm overcome by your love. I don't think we ever pause to hear him say, I'm undone by your love. Your love is overwhelming me. I'm held hostage by your love. This is what he says to you and me. I'm held hostage. I can't get away from you. Why? Because your love pierces me. When my message of righteousness pierces you, your love, worship, it pierces me. So that's why you get into moments like tonight and that swirl comes and you see adoration, you see thanksgiving, you see gratitude, and he's just saying, saying, you're holding me hostage. So you can ask whatever you want in my name and it'll be done. Whatever you ask, I'll do it right now, I promise. Why? Because you're holding me hostage by your love. You're holding me hostage by your worship. And it says this, for you've stolen my heart. I am held hostage by your love. And listen to this, and by the graces of your righteousness. The, the evidence that you're starting to produce fruit of righteousness is captivating me. You're starting to understand how I feel about you and it's showing up in you and it's holding me hostage. Graces of righteousness that is shining upon you. How satisfying to me, again, my equal, my bride. You know why? Because once you become a bride, everything is yours, yeah. right? That's right? It might be my name, but she has access, That's right? Right? Your love is my finest wine, intoxicating and thrilling. And your sweet perfume praises, so exotic and so pleasing. Your loving words are like the honeycomb to me, and your tongue releases milk and honey. Listen to this. For I find the promised land flowing within you. Let's get out of the mindset that the... The promised land is something we're going to achieve and start realizing it's something that you are. Let's get to the place where righteousness is not you being in right standing because you did it all right. That'll just lead you back to a fence because you won't get there. But once you know who you are,
and that the merit system is not how you're being graded and that you're validated and improved right now, that wholeness is where you start, not an end game. This, you're whole right now. The moment Jesus said you're mine and he imputed righteousness, whole you are right now. Then you begin to understand. He says, I find the promised land flowing within you. I just believe that Yahweh is bringing us into a revelation. And that revelation is us learning how to get onto that ancient path where the four of us get to walk in the cool of the day. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and me walking in the cool of the day. And we're walking that ancient path together. And as we walk that path, he begins to reveal to us mysteries. And then we start to understand those mysteries that have been hidden from the ages are now embedded into us. And that the message of righteousness doesn't have a finishing point. It has a revealing, it has an unfolding, it has a manifesting. This thing is going to be unfolding for the rest of our lives. This is why we have to have generational lenses. It says we might be a generation that hears, but the one that comes after us might be the ones that obtain. And here's the thing. We might hear and obtain. We're not going to put a limit on this, right? I'm ready for it now, but if it waits for another hundred years, I'm good too, right? You know what does that? The assurance of who you are doesn't get in a hurry to see it done. Once you know you're loved, you're not in a hurry to go anywhere else. I've, I've said this a lot of times. If you can go, if you can move on, it, on from it quickly, it wasn't ever devotion. You know, you, you ever heard people in encounters, let's just stay a while, let's linger in this, let's sit in this, let's just take, take some time, let this marinate. Why? Because if you can move on from it quickly, it may not be connected to devotion. And devotion is not you achieving, it's you responding right? Yeah. So in the moments when you feel the manifestations of glory, you feel his, his love, maybe you should just go a little slower instead of faster. That's right. Take a little bit more time, right? I, I, I once was a person that gave him my time so that he could, or I gave him my, my, my time so that he could define my world. Now I just give him everything and he tells me how to spend my time. Yeah. There is a way that the Lord is teaching us where it is not by some sort of metric, it is just by a full surrender. And that becomes our response to mercy. Because what does Romans 12 say? How then should we respond to marvelous mercy? We should present our bodies as a sacrifice. What's it mean? I bring my entirety to him and I say it's yours. You know why? He's attracted and held hostage by that. And he says, in that surrender, I find a promised land. In that promised land is where I want to walk, where I want to live, where I want to dwell. It brings the scripture that David, when he said, one thing have I desired of the Lord, one thing will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my, my life. What's it say? <laughs> to behold his beauty and to inquire in his temple. Do you know what that means for a New Testament believer? You're not coming into a temple made with man's hand. One thing have I desired, to come to the church building, to inquire of him here means that I now have this thing with him on the inside that I can inquire of all the mysteries inside here. And we can do this in a place where we just start searching things out together because inside of you is a treasure chest waiting to be unveiled.
So what's he doing right now, family? He's establishing you as a family in a garden, learning to govern without an accuser present. If you still hear the voice of an accuser, lean more fully into the message of righteousness until, and here's how you do it, metanoia. The kingdom of heaven is where? At hand and within. It's not out beyond our hand. It's at hand and it's within, just beyond the veil, right? And I think there are things that this house is getting ready to inherit. I think there's going to be fulfillment of promise. I think there's going to be changing of forms. I think there's going to be a, a new identification. Yes. But he's going to begin to identify this house with some authentic stuff. <coughs> it's going to be awesome. Yes, amen. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. This thing with sound and, sound and color, I feel it. Yeah. I feel it. You know why? Because there's light, radiant light that is shining. Yes. This is going to be a world of no shadows. I hope you're ready for it. Yeah. This is a renaissance of light. Yeah, there's a renaissance of light coming. You know what a renaissance means? It means a rebirthing from a dark age. The dark ages of systemic oppression are done. There is a renaissance of light that is coming. And art is about to be exploding in the house of the Lord. It's going to explode in you. It's going to come with sound and color. That's why you're going to be writers. You're going to be painters. You're going to be songwriters. You're going to be singers. The, the, the arts are going to flow out of you. You know why? Because it's a renaissance. There's a celebration of angels going on around you. You've been invited into that. And so what should come out of you? Sound in color. Sound in color. Sound in color. Sound in color everywhere. Right? So we just say, let there be light. Let there be light. And let there be no darkness at all. Welcome to the world with no shadows. Welcome to the world with no shadows. Let's just stand up on our feet. And I, I don't, uh, unless Jimmy, unless you have something different to do, I just feel like there's not going to necessarily be any kind of altar call. I feel like this has happened the last few times that I've been here. Let's break the religious fear that if we don't have an altar call, this wasn't real. I actually think the altar calls that matter are the ones that happen right after this. The one you find in your room, the one you find in your car. The one that you find sitting in the parking lot just an extra 15 minutes after this and you just meditate on the Lord and say, Lord, what are you doing? What are you saying? What are you revealing? Because I'm telling you, once the shaking's done, what, what, is, what is remaining is unshakable. And I'm declaring that this house is unshakable. And when I say that, I don't mean this building or the name Northgate. I'm saying the people who are learning to say yes together. I mean those that have been joined together as a koinonia and an ecclesia in the earth that have learned how to live with a yes instead of a bunch of no's that have learned that maybe all things are permissible but not all things are beneficial that have learned how to submit to the nature and the goodness of Yahweh that are embracing an identity that is purely beloved without any accusations that is filled with divine encouragement by the Holy Spirit. That the prophetic model of this house is filled with hope. Not clothed in any kind of darkness, but in beautiful, brilliant light. 
that brings sound and color to your world. I pray that this house is filled with sons and daughters that know they are loved, that are convinced of who they are, that you are unoffendable. Receive that. You are unoffendable. Listen, I feel the kickback on that because you're like, I don't, I don't know about all that. It's not about what anybody has said or done. It's about who Yahweh says you are. And I'm learning for myself how to be unoffendable. So Yahweh, I pray for the grace, the graces of righteousness to be revealed in this family. And I pray that the graces of righteousness begin to show up like a pearl necklace around their neck, revealing the riches of the kingdom that is lavished upon the lovers of Yahweh. I pray for healing to be easy here. I pray for the prophetic to be smooth here. In fact, I... I pray that it come like a breeze. My son said it on the way here. He said, this weekend is going to be like a breeze. So I just say yes to the revelation that this doesn't have to be hard. This can be a breeze. That once you feel the wind of the Holy Spirit, once you feel the pneumatic things beginning to happen, instead of fighting the wind, you join the wind. You become cloud walkers. (laughs) You begin to be the one standing on a sea of glass, mingled with fire, beholding the beauty of Jesus. Searching the treasure chests of His goodness within. Knowing that, beloved, you are enough. And if there's any voice that's telling you you're not enough, we cancel that voice and we say you're more than enough. Because you are more than a conqueror. It is not by might. It is not by power. But it is by the divine encourager. The Holy Spirit. I feel these winds right now. Some of you are going to step into functions in the body of Christ that you didn't think you you could do. But it's only because you've been misidentified by an accuser. Remember that, that, that voice is within you. It's not an external voice. This is the one that's inside of you saying you, you, you couldn't do that. This weekend, that changes. Some of you that are used to being in the back and at a distance will start moving forward in a different posture. And, and some of you, that means... Where you sit in the room. Yeah, come on. I know that sounds weird. No, that's right. But for some of you, that'll be a prophetic act that I'm moving into a new seat. Into a deeper seat of identity. And that I'm not going to function as an orphan. I'm going to function as a son. Beloved. And it's just that simple. The good news is just that good. You say, but I got to get some things together first. No, you don't. No, you don't, you don't have to get things together. You just need to get nearer. If you're not as strong as you'd like to be, you're not as connected as you need to be. 
If you're not as strong as you want to be, just get closer until you get grafted into something that is stronger than you. That's what I do in relationship. If there's something I'm missing, guess what I do? I want to graft myself to something that I see that is stronger. You know what that, what that demands? That demands that two tender parts touch so that they can become one. The invitation has been given. He, he said, I graft you into myself. That means he's given every bit of himself to you. Now, all you've got to do is take your vulnerability and attach it to his and put a tether around it until it cannot be pulled apart. You know why? Because you're no longer two. You're one. Let's take that seriously. He said, you're my darling, my bride, my equal. Let's get the blasphemy of that out of our heads. Only if you try to keep your righteousness will you struggle with that statement. But the moment that by faith you receive his righteousness, you understand you're no longer two, but you're one. Because he said, as I am, so you must be in this world. This is deep. This is not doing church well. What I'm I'm telling you, it does not suggest you do church better. I'm not inviting you to do church better. I'm not encouraging you just to have good attendance, be a better giver. I'm not, that, that is not what I'm saying. I'm saying present yourself so holy before the Lord that you feel yourself becoming his promised land and you realize there's nothing I wouldn't give you. There's nothing I wouldn't lay out in front of you. And I'm, I'm just happy to be in the room with you. I'm just happy to worship you. Because here's the deal. The armory of heaven is children running around with banners. Not one of them ran to the pulpit and said, give me the mic. Not, not one of them. Not one of them did it to be seen. You know what they did? They were looking at each other just having the time of their lives, just waving banners around. You know what? It gets messy when you're childlike. There is no coordination with childlike. It gets wild. I got poked in the eye seven times. That's great. You know why? They're having the times of their lives. Just what if we did that? What if we just got messy with the goodness of the Lord and was like, here, you get goodness of the Lord and you get the mercy of the Lord and you get the joy of the Lord and you get the peace of the Lord and we're just splattering around like paint on walls. We're just, yeah. Because if that's a weapon, why not use it? If that's a weapon, why not use it? You need to get childlike, not childish. Difference between childlike and childish. Whole different subject. But let's stay. Northgate, I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm saying because I'm excited. Because I know if it's coming to you, it's coming to me. Because yeah. Yeah. there's not, there's not a, a Northgate and a city on a hill. It's like we're a family. We're rooms in a house. Right? right? Yeah. We're the body of Christ. I've said this a million times about the shepherd's tent. I'm like, I'm a member of the shepherd's tent. I'm a member of the Northgate. I'm a member of my, my brothers and sisters. I, I'm the member there. If it comes to Mark's house, guess what? I love it because it's in mine too. Yes. We're in the same house. That's right. That's right. If you live in a house, you don't just sit in one room. If you do, you're a hermit. You got to go to the kitchen. 
go to the living room, go upstairs, knock on the door, come into a brother's room, right? This is the kingdom, man. Welcome to it. It's at hand and within. And you know what I'm saying right now? I, I just feel this. Diversity is coming in a massive way to the North Gate. I, I'm talking all nationalities. all. Ra- I'm just saying it's coming, not because it's been a coordinated effort to see how we can reach someone that doesn't look like us, sound like us, talk like us, or even believe like us. But there's an undeniable fire that has been set and people see flames and they say, I'm going to put, I'm going to jump headlong into that. I see it. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to run out of the fire just wondering what in the world is going on. You know why? Because you're going to, they're, the mystery of Christ, the hope of glory in you. And the world looks at you and says, what mystery is this? So Father, we just pray that tonight we engage with your goodness. We engage with your mysteries. We engage with identity and say, Lord, I pray that tonight you take me deeper into a revelation of your righteousness. Pierce me more deeply than I was before so that I become an unshakable son of an unshakable kingdom that will last through the ages. And Father, we just release that word over this house and these people. Father, we celebrate you tonight. My darling bride, my private paradise, fasten to my heart a secret spring you are that no one else can have. Hear that. No one else can have you. No one else. My bubbling fountain hidden from public view. What a perfect partner to me now that I have you. That's what he says to you. I love y'all. I know it's nine and I'm going to be quick. But I felt, oh man, wow. One of the first revelations that Bobby shared with me when we both transitioned to South Carolina was the armory of heaven. It's one of the first things he ever shared with me that was like a heavy revelation to us, especially I mean, we were fresh out of the system, just moved our families to South Carolina and had no clue what was about to happen. And Yahweh was messing with our theology. That was the first revelation. Bobby looks over at me tonight when all this starts happening, kids running, us rejoicing and all that, and he goes, I've never seen a more literal representation of what, I've, what I saw years ago. And when he said that to me, the Lord said, everything that I've showed Bobby the past nine years, he's going to see literal representation of. And I I felt the Holy Ghost give me this language. 
He said, here at the North Gate, we are going to procure $3 million for the Limleys right now. Oh my God. To literally build on earth what he has been seeing in heaven. The Lord told me, nine years of revelation will be built in three. And I feel right here at the North Gate, I'm I'm telling you, I'm not just speaking to you. I'm not putting this weight on you. I'm saying we're going to put pressure on this with the Lord because there are people with my brother's finances in their bank account right now. And Yahweh said, we're going to procure it tonight. We are going to seal it. We're going to call it in. We're going to send the angels that gather and we're going to procure $3 million for a piece of property and building. It's not the whole thing. It's just the beginning. It's not the whole thing. It's just the beginning. Oh, there's going to be some millionaires that are not going to leave their money in the bank, but they're going to see this as a heavenly investment where it will have an eternal reward. So I pure, I procure in the Holy Ghost $3 million for the first phase of City on a Hill. And I speak that what my brother has stewarded in the Spirit is going to be built in the natural. Oh, Father, I speak right here from the north gate with the faith of the family. Come on, press into the word he just gave you. You're the righteousness of God. We procure $3 million for the peace of property and building that is necessary for the first phase of City on a Hill. Oh, Come on, let's just pray for just a few more minutes. This whole night I've been praying in the Spirit while Bobby's been preaching. Come on, if you got resources and you feel to sow into this moment, just bring it and lay it at the Father's table right now. If you, as you feel led. But the whole night, I've been staring at this unfolding triangle. This unfolding triangle. And the colors that are facing me are colors that represent the high school, middle school that Bobby and his dad had state championships and have history in. And I'm staring at this, and Yahweh said, there is an unfolding of honor coming to the whole Limley family. There is an unfolding. There is an unveiling. There is undeniable honor coming to the Limleys. 
Oh, I speak it by the Holy Ghost. I say that what has been done in secret will certainly be brought to the light. And the unveiling of the mysteries that have been held and stewarded in that house in South Carolina. Yahweh says, I'm putting a spotlight on the Limleys and I am going to release honor from the heavenly realm. And I'm releasing honor in this realm of the kingdom towards the Limleys. And it will be undeniable the favor of God on their lives. I'm telling you, man, there's an unveiling. There is an unveiling. There is an unfolding that's happening for the Limleys. Oh, hallelujah to Jesus. Oh, hallelujah to Jesus. Oh, hallelujah to Jesus. So, Father, I declare everything they need for this shift in their family. The resources will be there without question. Yahweh, it will be an inheritance of a property and a building because the resources will just be overwhelming to them. Oh man, what an honor. The Northgate, you are able to procure something that's going to impact the whole family. Yahweh has entrusted this house to procure this is what I hear. This is why we're doing this right now. Yahweh says, you, you are a house that procures things for families in the Spirit. I felt it, man. That's what I was being overwhelmed with last night. And I didn't have the language for what was happening to me last night. But while I was standing behind this pulpit, you all were procuring things for me. Do you know what that means? You were obtaining things for me. You were persuading others to do things for me. And Yahweh said, I want you to return the favor to the Limleys tonight. Bob, or, or Jimmy said it last night. I believe Yahweh brought us here, brought the Castos and the Limleys here to your house, to the gate, the home of the rockets, because Apostle did. He laid his hands on us and counted down, 10, 9, 8, and did the whole countdown. And, and Jimmy said something so profound. He said, he said, a launch to the depths for the Limleys and a launch to the heights for the Castos, covering up and down. And I heard the Lord when you said that. It, I've, I've never said this publicly, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it. It is what it is. I've never even said this to the Limleys. I've never seen, I know we're all rooms in the house, but if, if I have a choice in this, we have adjoining rooms. And I felt like Yahweh said, you got to have deep roots for high places. So Yahweh, I thank you for bringing us to the north gate. And Lord, I thank you 
for allowing us to make a deposit into this family, but I thank you for the deposit that they have made into us this weekend. And Father, I declare over the North Gate, there will never be a day of lack for generations of what's being established here because this is a house of procuring inheritance for families. So Yahweh, just as a brother to Jimmy and Tina, I bless this house. And I pray for the sealing of every revelation that has been given this weekend to, to, for them to reap hundreds of fold harvest of these revelations and truths. Tonight, we get the opportunity to honor a prophet in this house by procuring them on earth what they have been stewarding in heaven. Thank you for listening to this message from the Northgate. If you would like to donate to this ministry, please go to www.thenorthgateoh.com and click on the link at the bottom of the homepage. 